Hi, I'm Christine Murray, and welcome to the Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make places worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings more than the buildings themselves. This week, I'm excited to bring you another talk from the Festival of Place. Our festivals are full of fresh thinking and challenging ideas about the way we make places. I hope you'll come and join us at one of our future events. Uh, In the meantime, let's tune in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this uh, session. Um, It's my great pleasure uh, to be joined on stage by Roger Wade, the founder and CEO of Box Park. Um, This is London's award-winning food, retail, and leisure development. Uh, Roger started Box Fresh, the original British streetwear brand, after graduating from university and grew it from a market stall to an international brand selling in 12 different countries. And after forming his own brand consultancy, he went on to, to transform that patch Uh, of land in shortage that we know that became Box Park. Box Park is now um, since opened uh, in Wembley Park and other placemaking locations and is set to expand across the country now with some new uh, projects, which I know we're going to talk about. But um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Roger is I know he's really passionate about the future of our high streets, uh, the future of places, and of course we are going through a long-standing conversation about retail and changing retail, um, about online influence of retail, and I think we're going to tap into some of those um, questions here. We're also going to have an opportunity for you to ask um, some questions as well. But you know, I think Roger, for one of those, uh, for those who don't know you or your story, I, I think it would be really interesting to talk about your connection to place. And I'm, I'm really passionate about markets and their kind of link. And I know um, that you are. And I think just hearing about that journey from the market, but then also that first box park, uh, you know, the London Olympics 2012, and your learnings through that. And yeah. welcome. Okay. Thank you for. <laughs> The lavish introduction. I think this is a great lesson in getting insulation in a room, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Uh, I try and make it worthwhile. So, and I try and drown out the noise. Um, so my own personal history is that I, after university, I got sacked in my first three jobs and basically decided I was unemployable. And I started my first business. And I literally started from a, a market store. And I built that business up and, and formed a brand called Box Fresh. And I guess it was the original British streetwear brand. And along the way, I introduced brands like Carhartt, Penfield, and G-Star into the UK. So my background was one of fashion. You know, I've been born and bred sort of 20 years a retailer before I started Box Park. And that's relevant to the story today. It sets the scene for that story. I literally started from that market store. You know, it was those early learnings that have really taught me everything about what I've learned in terms of retail development and now hospitality. I eventually sold Box Fresh to Pentland, who I guess are known as the owners of JD Sports and used to own Reebok. And I went to retire at the age of 40 And I got kicked out the house by my wife. And she said, go and do something. So I I literally had my whole entrepreneurial career. I've had one idea. And it was the idea that people need to feel special. You know, that's everything to me. When 
And it's, it's stuck with me my whole life. So even back in 2005, when they were talking about the internet taking over our high streets, I never believed in that because I always believe that you, particularly as architects or work in the design industry, definitely myself and I can see Christine, you know, we are obsessed with being special, aren't we? The shoes that Christine is wearing today are certainly special, you know. And I always believed in the emotion of the customer. And I ask you guys to all think about that more. So my dream was that, you know what? The internet wasn't going to take over the high street. That my customer wanted something special. That's how I always compete back in the day with Box Fresh. I went about to start a high street full of independence that when everyone was talking about the internet in 2005, I always fundamentally believed that I wanted to dress differently or wear things differently. And by that time, when I ran Box Fresh, I also had built a container shop. And a friend of mine owned a retail development. And literally, in the middle of the night, I just had an idea. You know what? I'm going to create a new high street out of containers and it's going to be for independence. And it was as simple as that. I just literally woke up in the middle of the night and thought that. And I'm sure, as designers, a lot of you had that moment. And I was so naive. Literally, I could not find, in 2010, an architect that really knew anything about containers. There really was only one guy or two guys at the time. One was who I regard as the godfather of container architecture, a guy called Adam Colkin. And, and uh, the guy also that designed um, um, the Puma uh, development. They were the only two people that I really knew that did anything with containers. There was a bit of container housing. So I literally read their books, got an interior designer, and we built Box Park Shoreditch. And I guess at the time that was the, the world's first pop-up mall, to, to coin the phrase. But we weren't the first. We were just, we adapted retail, made a mall out of containers. But lo and behold, it wasn't as simple as what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't just about the building. And remember that. You know, there's so many of us that sometimes think in the world of design, it's all about the building. I literally thought it was all going to be about the building and it would be like buy to let, I'd collect the rent and that was it. But after a year and the Olympics came along, we lost 50% of our tenants. And I realized you actually had to run that building. And it was the operations of running that building that really set you apart. So from those really hard times, we really started to, to be pioneers in terms of, of, of social media, really trying to get foot for, doing Wi-Fi, data capture, XYZ, putting on loads of events. Why? Because we were desperate to get the foot for. And then over time, we built it back up. And eventually, it wasn't the street wear or the sports fashion that took off. It was the street food that took off. And then we built our next development, Box Park Croydon, which was dedicated to food and drink. It was my version, I guess, of a 21st century version of Covent Garden Market. If you look at Covent Garden Market, Actually, Box Park Croydon is a direct copy of it. It's just built from containers. It's got lots of little shops on the ground floor, some bigger units upstairs, and a big covered roof. And then, and then we started going into the food and drink sort of business, and then we launched Box Park Wembley, which is a, a fan park. And you know, now we hope to roll out another dozen um, box parks and box halls 
over the next five years. But I'm just saying that to give you my journey and why the I'm so passionate about the high street and why I'm so concerned about the high street, the future of hospitality. I mean, here we are today. It's called the Festival Place. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say to you there will not be place if we don't do something about our high streets, town centres, and about people working from offices. It's a delicate ecosystem that you create. It's not just about the architecture. It's not just about the houses. You've got to create homes. That's places for people to work. That's places for people to shop. That's for places for people to eat and drink. And that's places for the community. And we are in serious danger of losing those places. And I, I hope today I can convince you why we are at a level where literally there might be no turning back. So let's dig into that right now. So what is it that you're seeing? Uh, is it a post-COVID environment? Is this the online threat that we've been talking about for 20 years coming home to roost? And what do you see as the key changes that need to be made to protect that, that idea of place and that social fabric uh, that you're holding dear yeah. right now? I mean, I mean, firstly, we just got to realize that obviously the obvious threat is the threat of the internet, okay? So let, let's just talk about the threat. And it's, and it's not just Amazon. It's also the threat of delivery. It's the threat of Deliveroo. You don't think Deliveroo or Just Eat or Uber Eat affect the restaurant on the high street? I can tell you it does because you've got these dark kitchens now, okay? So the, 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 the real concern, I've set in, sat in on some advisory boards for the government and there's desperate, des definitely whisperings amongst the government that you can not save the high street. The high street and town centres are beyond saving. I've never heard anything so ridiculous in my life, I'll be frank. Going back to what I said way at the beginning about feeling special, I like going into that shop touching the fabric, trying it on. You know, if you look at someone like Apple, they realise the importance of physical retail in terms of showing their product because you could demonstrate the Apple Watch that I've got on. If you're going to buy a Tesla, why do they launch it in, in Westfield shopping centres? Because more people could go see their cars and actually touch and feel them because you couldn't replace the 360-degree feel that you get when you physically touch something in store with online. So the problem that exists at the moment is, firstly, we've got to create a level playing field with online. And that doesn't exist. So we need to get rid of the archaic business rates you know, that exist in this country. You know, At the moment, you're only seeing a tip of the iceberg when it comes to the shop closures. There is a rent enforcement moratorium. Effectively, that means no landlord can kick any tenant out because of non-payment of rent. The government did absolutely zero to help any tenants when it came to rent. It did something on the salary side of things, but it did nothing on rent. So everyone's got, all these tenants have got all these accrued rents, and basically they won't be able to pay it. And come the end of March, you're going to see a five-fold, tenfold increase on closures of retail outlets. And you're already seeing high streets like that. If you look at somewhere like where I'm from, Brighton Hove, Churchill Square Centre is half 
open. You know, they've lost Debenhams. You know, we lost. If you don't think that this is an existential event, the, the best performing store, one of the best performing stores in the world has recently closed. Does anyone know what it is? It was Topshop, Oxford Circus. Five years ago, 10 years ago, no one would have dreamed that store would have closed. It was the best performing store. Guess what? It has closed, okay? So we need to address what are the fundamental issues with our high streets and town centres, which is firstly, we need to create a level playing field. And that is, look, if you've got Amazon Shed in the middle of nowhere, trust me, they're not paying business rates to the level that the high street retailer is. Gap has just pulled out of every single store in the, in the UK and replaced it with online. Foolish them, by the way, you know. But we need to create that level playing field for the high street, for restaurateurs, for hospitality to survive. And that means not evaluating business rates, a complete overhaul of business rates to create a level playing field with online. And it's not just that. It's, it's corporation tax. We need to... Amazon recently, I think, posted an additional... I don't know, was it $2 billion in extra sales? They paid 2% corporation tax. But yet you've got Joe Little Independent paying 20% corporation tax on a quarter of a million turnover. Is that fair? Do you think that those stores can survive? So they haven't got the environment in which they can survive. So we've got a series of events happening in the same way we've got it with climate change that are creating an existential event for high streets. We've got business rates pressure. We've got you can't compete with Amazon when it comes to corporation tax. You've got uh, the rent enforcement moratorium. You've got now lack of staff. The effect of COVID and Brexit. God, God knows we're not allowed to mention the B world. But the reality is, I went into my Pret-a-Manger today and they were saying to me, a Pret-a-Manger that was absolutely packed, had great service, and they were saying to me, we can't get the staff now. We, we can't even get enough staff in our kitchen. And that's the best guy in the industry. That's how bad the problem is. So you get people saying that actually, like apparently some of the government ministers, you can't say physical retail. Bullshit. I've been in industry 30 years. I've worked for some of the biggest retailers, consulted for some of the biggest retailers. JD Sports, super dry, you know. I know great retailers in terms of Sir Stuart Rose, Justin King, Sir Charles Dunson was my chairman. We can compete because there's three things about retail. We try to make it really complex, but it's actually only three things. One is content, and you've got to have the best content in the world. And the reality is physical retail can show content better than anyone else. That Apple story, the touching the watch, X, Y, Z. So actually, physical retail competes with online when it comes to, 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 to showing content. Then driving traffic is the next important thing with retail. Well, traffic is really expensive online now to stand out online with Google Pay and you know, Google AdWords or whatever, that actually you can create some of the most cost-effective traffic through in-store. You can have a pop-up event. You can have Instagrammers come down and talk about your event. They can really create fantastic, cost-efficient footfall. And then finally, you can have the best content in the world, the best traffic in the world, 
But if you don't convert that, that customer that comes into the store, that touches that garment, then it's useless. Well, actually, physical retail can convert 10 times better than online retail. So it's not unusual. When it comes to online retail, you convert one in, in every 100 customers. In store, we're talking about one in 10. So why am I saying this all to you? I'm saying to you that the high streets, the town centres, the centres of our community don't need to die. They can exist. I live, my office in Brighton is in the lanes. It's a thriving, you know, retail area. Loads of shops, loads of fantastic independence, you know. We can do it, but we need to create the right circumstances for physical retail, for hospitality, for in-store to survive. And I'm just saying to you guys, as people that celebrate place, you need to fight this battle. You need to stress the importance when it comes to place. I heard you had Roger Madeline here today. You know, David Partridge from Argent. Why did they build Cold Drops Yard? They understood this. They understood the importance of physical retail, hospitality, colleges, public spaces, offices, and residential, and how is this interconnected, delicate ecosystem that if you remove one element out of that ecosystem, you threaten the entire ecosystem. If you don't have office workers anymore, you won't have people going into shops or restaurants at lunchtime. If you don't have shops and restaurants in those areas, the office workers don't want to live in those areas. It's not just about great architecture, cheap housing. It's about the places that we create. I, I want to invite you to uh, put up your hands if you have questions for Roger at this point or to start thinking about it. Um, so at any point, if you guys have a question to ask. But I have loads because, Roger, you're going to ask you a question and then you, you I, I've only got two questions in so far. So it's brilliant to hear all of that. And I, I think your passion um, for physical repeal is really important. I want to pick your brain a little bit around independence because a lot of people see the independent um, shop as really key to creating that unique sense of place mm. because it is a one-off and you want to go to this. Um, but, but independents also are seen as incredibly volatile or fragile or you know, perhaps they can't, um, they have a more a, a reputation of not having an organization behind them that can take the, um, the kind of uh, threats and risk of, yeah. of rents. Yeah. So do you have tips about the kinds of, maybe the size of the tenancies, the kinds of tenancies, or how to work with retails if you have a uh, independence, if you have a space, um, to kind of uh, iron out, I suppose, the, the, the fear yeah. of bringing I mean, yeah. those businesses in. Yeah. Don't ask too big a question, because I've got too small a mind, so I can only deal with simple questions. So um, it's, it's no different than I mean, some of you guys just set up your first business, you know. When you're a small business, you don't have the infrastructure to survive. So, so the reality is what I stress to the independent street food traders or retailers that come to Box Park is focus on one thing, your product, your content. You know, I will try my best to create your traffic by employing social media teams or digital marketing teams or putting on events, X, Y, Z. 
focus on the core thing that you need to do. So I think firstly, we need to create environments in which they're supported in some of the things that you need to do well. The reality is when you have a small business, you can't afford to just be good at one thing. You know, there's, there's loads of fantastic designers out there that no one's seen any of their product. And it's incredibly frustrating for them because they just simply don't have the business acumen to succeed. So I think we need to create an environment in which they can focus at what they're great at, but we can provide everything around them, the traffic to do the business and help them with the conversion side of things. Um, that's, I think that's really so. In, in when you're working with those independent, you know, with independent or smaller businesses to create that unique sense of space, you need to provide more infrastructure to allow them to do what they do really well. Whether that's social media support, marketing, yeah. or whether that's holding events in the space, because I know you do that quite a lot. You do kind of do the activation and the footfall yeah. for them, but then they bring what they do best to that space. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're fanatical about our content. And our content is our street food tenants and our content is the events that we put on. So we're absolutely fanatical, that's right. But we, if they're not making fantastic food, we just don't survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. But we also need to create that level playing field for them. So they don't have onerous business rates and they don't have onerous taxation systems that we realize we've got to do something for these guys to survive. There's a question at the back. Oh, there's two. Actually, let's take them both and then we'll continue. Hello, thank you. Um, hello, my name's Charles Campion from JTP. We're actually just along here in the, in the warehouse now. Um, and I, I've worked um, you know, up and down the country for, for 25 years on regeneration projects, and it's always struck me that even in sort of slightly depressed town centres, there's always some businesses that are absolutely thriving. Um, and and they're, they're doing something that, that, that you know, they're, they're providing a great service, great, you know, great quality, and the, the community are responding to that. Um, but my point that I wanted to ask you about was that in my own community, which is in West London, in Barnes, um, we had a really struggling high street in the 2011-2012. And um, we, we, we set about trying to do something as a community about it. We've got a lot of independent shops there, but they were at risk because... The local convenience store went. You couldn't buy a pint of milk or a paper in the high street. So we 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 ran a charrette process, which was based on placemaking. What does what does the community want to see in the high street? Working the businesses over the last five six years, the footfall has more than doubled, and we've you know businesses come in, and you can see they're gonna they're gonna make it or not. But you can tell that from the first moment because you can see their attitude, the quality, the investment. Um, these are independent businesses, by the way, largely. Um, and I just wondered, my simple question is, what do you think the role of the community is uh, in, in tackling the regeneration of, of high streets? So before you answer that, I'm just going to also take the question from the back at the same time, so you have both in. But that is about what do you think the role of the community is. Do you want to answer this one first? Uh, just wait, I'll just hear, <laughs> hear the second. Um, hello. Sorry if I missed this. Guy's really loud. Um, I'll talk quietly. Um, sorry if I missed this, I had to pop out for a call, but the box park model is really exciting and it's a catalyst for the future of kind of our commercial environments. It's sort of exciting. I wonder with the decline in the bigger um, department stores, retail buildings, how transferable is that model to the existing infrastructure on our high streets? 
providing a canvas for the independence in these existing buildings and how that might work to revitalize the high street. Great. Got it. Okay. So um, what Got is it. the role of the community? Yeah. I mean, you know, firstly, I congratulate you on your participation with your local community and giving something back. And, and, and community is everything. It's not, it's not a convenient buzzword. You get so many um, development companies that you know, stand up on stage and produce a beautiful brochure and they talk about placemaking and, you know, they build a building and then, and then they bugger off, you know. And we, we stay in our environment. So I think that community is everything because it's good business. If you don't have a good community, you don't have people coming to, to see you all the time and you know, buying the products that you've got. So you've got to create something that the, the local community want. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's absolutely key to, to the success of that, you know, of that development that you do. But at the same time, it, it's not just going to be the thought of getting the local community involved that's going to be enough. I wish it could be. We have to, we have to realise that we're undergoing a period of incredible change. Change that maybe we cannot come back from. And unless we do something to level that playing field, unless we do something to make sure that small independent and barns that might be selling some paper stationery can survive against Amazon, then I'm sorry, I don't see a future. So we've got to create that level playing field. And, you know, I personally and i'm sure a lot of you guys share the same belief that you know we don't want to have the jeff Bezos world where we're all sitting around a dining table looking at our ipad probably ordering our food and the next minute a drone comes flying in <laughs> with my deliveroo or whatever it is or what he's probably going to take that over but i don't want that future slip my wrist if that's my future i want to go to an italian piazza and have a fantastic you know vongole and a, and a lovely glass of Chianti and speak to my friends and enjoy the local community and the local street act. So I think that's in answer to your question, but I, I applaud the fact that you're actually putting something back in your local community. Just a sec, because yeah. I want to take the, yeah. I just want to answer the other yeah. one and then we'll, I'm, we'll I'm not back. good at thinking about multiple answers because I'm uh, a man, but I've <laughs> no, got the point. Okay. I've got, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and in I, fact, it links to a question we've also got from our online another audience. One. No, it's the same. I'm a man. Yeah. I can only do one it's thing good, at a it's time. Good. They're interconnected. So Morvan Cunningham has, has asked, uh, "How do we? What do we do with the shells that Topshop and Debenhams have left behind?" And it's which, the same, it's which the matches same with Will's question yeah. around Box Park being yeah. an exciting model. How yeah. does it work in these it, existing shells and these bigger yeah. buildings? Is it transferable? Yeah. If I was uh, unashamedly uh, about making money, then I'd probably come up with some sort of answer that would ensure that I had loads of property developers approach me with their Debenhams and XYZ. Trust me, I've had all of them come to me. But actually, I think we've got a huge problem. And, you know, ourselves, we've turned down probably some of the largest shopping centres in the UK to go into their Debenhams, to go into their House of Frasers, XYZ. And the reason why is I'm obsessed by what I said at the beginning. I'm absolutely obsessed with it, which is you know, I want to be special to my customer. And I don't think being special to your customer is going into a shopping centre and, you know, being right next to McDonald's or, 
you know, next, and then they pop in and have a street food experience. For me, I want to build environments that make people feel really excited. So the environment really matters to me. And, and also, just going back to an earlier question, you've got to be nowadays to succeed in this world. You can't afford to just be good at one thing, can you? You've just got to be great at everything, which is really annoying. So, you know, you've got to have good architecture. You've got to have great content. You've got to have great operations. You've got to make sure the environment is fantastic. So you can't compromise on one thing. So if anything, we are going more upmarket. We're launching a new version of Box Park, which is for smaller sort of existing spaces rather than us building them out. It's called Box Hall. So we might go into like a beautiful shed like this and build out in a 10 to 20,000 square foot. But that's because we want to keep moving it forward. That's all. You know, you can't, the days in which you could have a five-year business plan and go, oh, that's my business plan. I'm rolling them out. They're over. So you're not against existing buildings or reusing existing buildings, but that specialness remains really important yeah. to you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not against not any building, not any shell. No, you know, I've done, as I said, I don't... Top, top shop, Oxford Street? I, I got offered it, you know, but maybe that one. That's quite a nice building, though. You know, it's right next to Night Town. But, you know, I'm, I, would I go into a shopping centre where it was underpinned by Debenhams and House of Fraser? Probably not. And I've been offered a lot of them. You know, I think you've, you've got to create special places. That's all, you know. That's what my emotional intelligence tells me or tries to tell me that's another thing and I just sort of just talk about because I'm sort of want to you know I hope we're not boring you but I'm actually trying to really give you something here of my it's you know from running a fashion brand I was used to making a thousand products a year and to ever copy anyone was like a cardinal sin you know or or the guys from Duffers of St George might beat me up or something so we didn't (laughs) copy anyone so you know we were always when you're doing that and like you guys, when you're designing, you have to trust your emotional intelligence. Don't let anyone ever knock that out of you, ever. You know, it's not designing by numbers. It's not spreadsheets. Always be in tune with your emotions and believe in your emotions. And that eureka moment that we spoke about earlier was born out of trusting my emotion. Oh, if, if I think this is going to be good... I, I, I'm pretty confident in myself that it will be good. And you all need to share that with whatever you do, that sort of being in touch with the emotional side of you. Because trust me, when a customer comes to buy something in your store or comes into your restaurant, they don't look at a database or an algor- algorithm or a spreadsheet. They just trust their feelings. Oh, what a lovely environment, you know. The food tastes lovely or what a great service. Not, you know oh, the the price points are absolutely perfect or something. (laughs) Can I ask you about copycats? Because Box Park is something that's been very widely copied uh, by anyone. Yeah, but I copied. You also copied. Yeah, I I was influenced by container housing out in in Amsterdam. It was there five years before. I just made it out of retail. All right, I did something different, which building five blocks. Adam Colkin made a whole book called Quick Build on, on container architecture. So... You know, I, 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 I don't, maybe I didn't use the word, I hate to use the word copy. I was strongly influenced by other container architects who were in the world of, of container architecture. I didn't come up with it. They, they already exist, you know. So, but I just adapted it and just 
brought it to another world that it it didn't exist before, you know? So you feel quite comfortable with those those developments or you feel, is it a compliment? I, you know, when, when I was younger, I was just, I was a complete tosser because I was so full of ego and just, you know, and as I've got older, I've really tried to lose that ego and, and, you know, I don't need the ego to say, we did this, we did that. I just, you know, just, that doesn't matter to me now. The, the, you know, people run businesses. When I was young, I ran it for my ego. And actually, I've become a better businessman when I sort of now run it, you know, for my employees, myself and my family. I know the reason why I want to run it. And I, I'm, I really am working hard on my ego side of things. Uh, with... So I think that goes back to your ego, you know. Oh, I invented it. It's mine. I'm really upset. No, I'm not. I wanted to ask about COVID, post-COVID, we changed our relationship to outdoor spaces. In some instances, we physically changed it to outdoor eating. Of course, some of that was um, because there, we were under uh, direction to yeah. do so. But has that changed your connection to bringing nature into Box Park? It hasn't been closely associated with greenery or planting? or Ooh, but, I don't but know. It, are you interested in, in those outdoor yeah. areas? Are they important to you? I think we tried to bring an urban park to, to Box Park to Shoreditch and I think creating outdoor spaces for us has always been quite a big point you know I'm, I'm, I must admit we're not the best green fingers so we had some had some troubles with some plants but trust me we've had some Malaysian birch there at, in the past but unfortunately it died in us so I, I'm, I'm yeah we want to create an urban park and it, it's in the name Box Park and it is absolutely fundamental to what we do and you know, with Box Hall in Bristol, we're, we're building directly on the canal and, you know, we've got a lovely outside space. We probably wouldn't go anywhere now without having that outside space. So, you know, the physical space is everything, but that's not, it's just one thing. You know, it's, it's, that's the content of the space, but I'm probably more obsessed by the content of the food and the content of the events, which is, again, something I'd like you to all think about when you have your buildings. I mean, you know, I remember going to Hong Kong, New airport when it first opened. I forget what it is. What's the name of it again? Does anyone remember? La the new one that was out on the island. Mega project. Um, they said the British government actually did it deliberately so they could take the money out of Hong Kong. But I remember going there and uh, I, I'm not going to get any help here, but it's famous this architect that designed it, one of the famous ones. And they handed it over to the Hong Kong Chinese and, and they put in all these really horrible little food concessions in there and it looked absolutely terrible and I remember thinking to myself god if I was that architect I'd be absolutely doing my nut because there's this beautiful building and then the Hong Kong Chinese have just gone and put this little cheap little like you know food outlet just there but again that's the content you know being obsessed about content is everything for me well, I share that I'm very obsessed with content uh, as well. So I'm always saying, well, that's fine. I'm really glad you built a nice website. What are you going to put on it? So <laughs> share, exactly. share your obsession yeah. there. There's two questions. We'll take them. We'll take them both. So if we can hear. Yes, go ahead. Hi, Mary Helen uh, from 4th Street. I'm just wondering, I think we're all feeling the sting of expansion and decline of retail at the moment and sort of looking into the future and seeing what's next. So I'm sort of wondering, how do you feel that you're able to future-proof your developments and sort of stay current? And um, I guess, what's next for container parks in that field? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not so sure it's going to be container parks because I just feel as that, uh, that sort of idea has been a little bit rinsed. And 
you know, I've done that. And I, you know, in the same way with Box Fresh, we'd move on each season. I'm sort of, I, you know, when we built Box Park Wembley, I became, I sort of got obsessed with the idea of creating the most beautiful industrial unit. So, you know, and showing that actually the beauty was not the building itself, but the way the content within the building in a way, and that you could actually have a, the most basic structure in order to be successful. So uh, for me, it's to constantly evolve, to enjoy my work, you know, to, to come up with new concepts, to, to be constantly challenged, to realize that, that the world is changing so quick, you can't rest on your laurels at all. You've got to keep moving on. You've got to keep doing the next thing. So our next thing is we're really going into leisure in a big way. So that's like your axe throwing, which, is, which I don't know if anyone's done it. It's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> Pop golf, your, your batting cages, you know. And I'm, I'm trying to create the perfect night out. But how am I future-proof? Well, I, I just believe that people want to eat, drink, and play. So that's all I'm going to do. Eat, drink, and play, and I'm going to do it, hopefully, better than anyone else, you know. I want to talk about something else, actually. I completely forgot about it. It's a really important point, okay, which is here I am sort of moaning about the sort of creating of the level playing field. I'd also like to have a moan at retailers and actually say what we're not doing well, you know, and what we're not doing well is embracing technology, you know, and it's, it is so annoying. Imagine if Amazon set up a store, a store they have actually, and they actually took no data on the customer. They'd be going, are you crazy? You know, it starts with data. Well, 99.9% .9 of all physical retailers, maybe with exception of restaurants taking pre-bookings or event venues taking pre-signups uh, or pre-tickets, don't know anything of their customer. Their customer walks into that store and walks out. And they know nothing. You know, they don't Can know who the customer... Can you explain the difference with what happens at a box park that's different to that? Because presumably yeah. your customers walk in. But how do you, how yeah. do you know that customer? Okay, so well, that was us. And then, again, through, you know, luck, or luck, we, through... COVID. Failure. You always say through failure. Through failure, 100%. <laughs> all of our, my, our greatest inventions have been through failure. Uh, that through, through COVID, we had to do the NHS like tracing thing. Well, I, I was straight away really skeptical about that. I was thinking, yeah, government trick. They're going to ping all my customers. I'm going to get no customers. So I refused to have that. Maybe you don't want to record that. Okay. So, <laughs> Too late. Oh, shit. <laughs> so we created our own track and trace, which was the Box Park uh, black card, you know. So every single customer that came to Box Park during that period, because our customers were young and they were really worried about track and trace. So we wanted to make sure the data wasn't shared with anyone. So we formed our own membership card. And our objective was that you could sign up in 60 seconds and literally you get to site. And then obviously, track and trace was coming to an end. But by then, we had a million signups to you know, our site. So, and we were like, wow, this is really good. So we then started to think about how could we give something back to the customer to keep this up. And so we decided to keep the black card and the membership, but turn it into a loyalty card, which we've got. So effectively, you go to Box Park, you spend £100. I can see you've got a black card there. You get, if you spend £100, by the way, you get... You get a £10 voucher, spend a £1,000, £100 voucher. So bring them all there. 
And so we turned it into a loyalty card. And now when you sign up for a black card, you also um, uh, you get a free drink the minute you sign up. That now gives us full visibility in our customer. Who is coming? When are they coming? You know, X, Y, Z. And then the government, then they actually rolled out three things that we actually thought, wow, they're actually quite good. The next thing was they demanded that we did uh, mobile ordering. So we developed a mobile ordering app. And then we were like, wow, this is actually quite good. You can order from table. And now not only do we know the customers, but we know what they're ordering you know, and when they're ordering it. So we kept that. So we kept the mobile ordering. And then finally, they also did eat out to help out on a Wednesday. So now, Monday to Wednesday, we have half-price drinks. Yeah, because we realized our traffic was really poor on a Monday to Wednesday. So what do we... We've tried to future-proof ourselves from the future by making sure that we know our customer that they're rewarded when they come there. We don't share the data with anyone. Everyone can opt out of it. We can give you priority events. We give you money back for being loyal. We give you a free drink the minute you sign up. And it's given us data. And that's what retailers and hospitality need to think about. If you don't have data, unfortunately, you won't you know, succeed. So let's, let's change the table on Amazon. Let's... Let's copy them. Let's, let's do, learn from them. Let's not pretend it's you know, all their fault, but also they're teaching us things. Roger, I can't believe it, but that's our time. Ah, there you go. So I, oh, I have question? one question. Yes, final question. Uh, sorry, uh, Blossom Young from Poplar Harker. We had a really interesting conversation this morning about gentrification and about people feeling loss of a sense of place or a sense of community. And I wondered if you could reflect on how our high streets can not only create a sense of place, but also yeah. maintain a sense of place and how that it's complicated it's how that works with the kind of existing businesses, long-standing businesses, and then introduction of new offers, and, and whether there are any examples we can draw from of that working particularly well. I'm sure you've been drawn into the debate about gentrification, being in Shoreditch, being in Croydon. So yeah. I think it would be really interesting because I, I know that you believe that you're sometimes supporting the local businesses by having this this thing that draws yeah. there, but there there is that sense that maybe you're also driving up rents or changing the demographic. Um, so it'd be good to hear that, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I don't really want to get too embroiled in the gentrification sort of uh, debate because, you know, from my side, you know, there's two sides to, to the story. You know, you know, I've experienced gentrification when it's been a local commercial property developer that set up a, a, a so-called neighbourhood you know, group and effectively campaigned against anyone else that was doing commercial development in that area and, you know, ran a campaign of noise against us, which really didn't exist. So we've got to be, for one of a better word, we've got to be careful of that nimbyism as well, you know. But at the same time, there is really serious issues regarding gentrification in, in, in certain areas where effectively the local businesses get pushed out. So it's, it's a really, really fine sort of balance. And I think the, the best way I can address this issue is, is also talking about reverse gentrification. I don't know if that's a word, but I guess I'll coin it as that. And that is 
our story about going to Croydon. You know, when we went to Croydon in, in 2016, five years ago, you know, it was a time just after the race riots. The, the Whitgift was certainly on its knees. Nestle had pulled out of Croydon. People didn't believe in Croydon, but yet Croydon it was the largest, at that time, largest London borough. And if it was a, a city, it'd be the eighth largest city in Britain, but it was a city that was becoming, not saying it had, but was becoming soulless. It, it, was, it was losing office workers. It was certainly losing retailers. Whitgift was, as I said, on its knees and people just didn't believe in it. But yet there's some really beautiful areas around Croydon. And I, I, I hope in, in our experience that we've really embraced all things local we've, in, in Croydon. We've, we do over 250 free events a year. We, um, I don't know, create 10 to 20 million in helping the local economy. We, we've created 300 jobs, mainly for young people in that area. And in our small ways, probably our proudest achievement of trying to help people, you know, make people think about Croydon again and put it back on the map. So um, I, I think you've got to be really sensitive about what you do. And, you know, community, as was rightly pointed out, is heart and soul of everything that you do. You know, it's good business. But we've got to be careful sometimes that the word gentrification is not just thrown around. And I, actually, sometimes I can find it quite condescending, you know, in, in, you know for, for people that want their area to be improved, you know, generally want a better life in that area, want to see the house prices grow because they've got a house in that local area, you know. And sometimes when somebody comes along and says, oh, gentrification, you know, if they really ask the local neighbourhood if, if it's all bad. So it's a really fine balance, and that's just my personal viewpoint. It's, it's, not, it's, it's basically not all gentrification is bad and not all gentrification is good. If you look at someone like, you know, let's look at two fine examples of what people would call gentrification. I wonder if they really are gentrification. I, let's look, I, I, I can't go King's into Cross. two. But we we have to draw okay. we have to draw it together. But yes, give us give us the two examples and then King, we'll... King's Cross. You know, it was you know it was really the the the, the arse end of the world. You know, before King Argent came along and really completely changed it. Let's not pretend it was. And you know, gonna, and then and, and then look get... at look at New Islington in Manchester with Tom Bloxham and what he did there. You know, are they examples of gentrification or are they examples in which they've really helped redevelop their areas? I mean, in, definitely in the case of Tommy, built a whole school there. In the case of David Arge and Roger Medlin, they, 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 they put St. Martin's there. So it's, I don't know, it's, I don't really balance. want to talk about I think, it. It's fine balance. Thank you, Roger, for sharing all of yeah. this with us. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time. <laughs>